Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell, and if you happen to miss our last episode with the fabulous Daniel C., you may have missed me talking about my new project. It's called Your Story Pod, and it's all about helping people tell their life story. I interview them, I ask all the right questions to cover the important chapters in their life childhood, their parents, stories from their early life, love, losses, lessons they've learnt. I ask them all about their children, their work, and the things they're passionate about. It's amazing. We record it in quality audio. We package it nicely with their favorite songs as intro and outro music. I've done a few of these now, and they're always a wonderful experience for me, for the person being interviewed, and most of all, for their family, who get to listen and keep the audio package in their family for generations to come. Can you imagine? Two generations from now, someone listening to their great-great-grandfather or their great-grandmother talk about what their life was like in their own words. It's such a rewarding venture. Check it out, yourstorypod.com.au and take a listen to this special episode on the Team Guru stream. I posted it a few weeks ago. It includes some sample audio of a few of the interviews I've done so far. That episode is called Your Life Story. And if there's someone in your life who should tell their story, get in touch and we'll make it happen. And now to this episode, the last for 2022. My guest is Belinda Morgan. Belinda is a leadership and flexible work expert who's recently written a book called Solving the Part-Time Problem, How to Decrease Your Hours, Increase Your Impact and Thrive in a Part-Time Role. So why is part-time work such an important option? For organizations and individuals? Why has it historically suffered from such a jarring reputation in the workplace? And most importantly, how can we design part-time roles so they're a valuable experience for employees and organizations? I hope you enjoy my conversation with Belinda Morgan. Belinda Morgan, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thanks, David. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you, Belinda. Hey, you are actually tackling an issue that we haven't tackled head on here on my podcast at all. We've talked about the flexible work revolution a little bit, a number of episodes, actually. That's more about where and how and when you work, whereas yours is very specifically about the part-time puzzle. And I, I really like it. I think it's a really strong argument that you make in your book and and more than sound advice on how to do it successfully. What's your mission with this book, Belinda? Where did it all start for you and what, what are you hoping to achieve? Thanks, David. So in terms of where it all started, I, seven years ago, started working part-time myself after I went back to work after having my first child and after taking parental leave. And what I found, I was in an organization who was fairly supportive. I was in a leadership role and they were fine with me coming back three and a half days a week to start with. But even in this quite supportive environment, I found it challenging. It was not a hard thing to do well, a part-time senior level role. And so it started from this personal interest level, gosh, we really need to be doing this better as people and as organizations. And then as I started to investigate more, I learned a lot about why part-time work is so important beyond just me and my personal interests, why it's important for things like diversity, for family well-being, all sorts of things. And so I got really, really interested and 
decided that I hadn't seen any information out there on it, so I'd write a book. And really my mission with the book, because it's focused on senior level part-time roles, is A, helping individuals who are in or who would like to be in a senior level part-time role with some really practical advice and a framework for getting it right. But it's also about changing minds. So how do we show organizations and the skeptics out there why part-time work is so important? And one of the big things that I haven't mentioned, there's absolutely the family well-being aspect, diversity and inclusion, because so many people in our workforce either prefer or need to work part-time, but also gender equity in the workforce and getting more women in senior management and helping solve the gender pay gap is a big a big um, driver for me in getting this message out there. And you, you talk about being important to you when you were a mum, and I, I guess uh, mm. necessity is the mother of all invention, isn't it? You found yourself <laughs> in that experience and it became important to you, so you pursued it. And what a great outcome. You go looking for a book on it and there's no book on it. That's the best outcome when you're mm. looking for a topic because you know there's a place for a new book in that space. So the women who have led the way in the part-time revolution have done all of the heavy lifting. And you talked about that in your book and they've done a great job, but it's time for it to become broader than that. And you touched on that a little bit there. Why is it so important that this becomes more than just about helping mums return from work after having children? Mm, Excellent question. And really, if you ask someone to think about a typical person working part-time at the moment, they'll immediately jump to that, you know, mother of young children. And that's the stereotype. And as you say, women have done a great job of driving it forward. But there's a lot of reasons why it needs to move beyond that. And partly is, well, you know, a big reason is there's a lot of men who would like to work part-time given the choice. There's actually a study out of the UK that shows that a third of fathers of young children in the study said that given the choice, they would choose to reduce their hours and take a pay cut and spend more time with their family. But it's very, very difficult for men to access part-time roles at the moment. It's not that easy for women, to be honest, to access career-worthy, great part-time roles. And that's one of the things I'm trying to address, but it's even harder for men. There's a lot of stigma around it. And so that's important for men to be able to have this kind of choice, but it's also important broadly for family well-being, um, a phrase I've mentioned a couple of times. And if you think about it, if only one partner, so in a heterosexual relationship, the woman, if she's the only one who has the option to work part-time, then if a family decides that someone needs to work part-time to juggle life, then it's always going to be the woman, whether it's her choice or not. So giving both men and women more choices <laughs> to summarise is why it's really important to broaden it. And that just reinforces gender roles that have Mm. been locked into society for generations. And it also cuts down on the options. Maybe in this particular case, in this particular mix, this this family, it would be better for a number of reasons for the dad to be the guy working part-time and spending more time with the kids for whatever reason, but it's just not possible in the way that we currently think about it. And I, I love that you reached that conclusion in the book with looking at some of the research that it's actually harder for men at the moment to request part-time. They feel as though it will hurt their careers more mm. than women feel it will hurt their careers. And it already is hurting women's careers. So it's actually even worse for men at the moment, which is amazing because there's not too many issues that are worse for men at the moment, but this is one of them. <laughs> hey, I, I, I didn't say I'd do this, but I, I think we should come to it. The main part of our conversation for listeners is that Belinda is going to talk us through her amazing five levers, the five things you've got to get right to work successfully part-time. 
But I do want to run through a couple of lists that you've got, two lists. One is the common experiences that people have, and these just were brought home for me so strongly when you wrote them down because they're what I hear and what I experience through others right through my career. And the other one are the myths about part-time. And I feel like this myth-busting that we're doing tonight about working part-time is similar to the myth-busting we've been doing working flexibly or working from home since the mm. beginning of the pandemic. And we've we've gone a long way in that space, working flexibly, whereas working part-time has actually kind of been excluded from that conversation a little bit. And I had, I'm going to get to these, I mean, I'm waffling mm. now, but I had this kind of epiphany when I was reading your book today that it might almost be as though COVID has hurt the part-time mission in equal measure to the way it's helped the flexible work revolution. Because maybe people who before COVID were longing for something different, whether it was part-time or the ability to work from home for a few days a week, that itch may have been scratched with flexibility around where they work. So maybe the heat has come off what they they might have thought was their desire to work part-time. What do you think about that? Is there a chance that that's squeezed in? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I haven't thought of it from that perspective myself at all, David. I think my thoughts as you're kind of proposing that are I kind of take a step above what my mission is and what it's all about. It's giving people freedom and flexibility to manage their lives in a way that suits them is partly what I'm all about. And so if at an individual level, someone finds that they can do that by working at home two days a week, then great, that's fine. I don't care if the part, you know, if they're not working part-time. But if it has, I guess, made a whole lot less noise about part or a whole lot of the noise about part-time go away, then perhaps that is a negative mm. impact. I don't know. It's interesting. I've actually thought about it the other way myself, though, in that people are more open to the idea of flexible work. And yes, yeah. absolutely, it's all been about where we're working. Yeah. But if we can then tack on, now let's start also mm. looking at this, how much we work and start taking that as seriously. We know we can make big changes because we've just done it with where we work. So why not take the next step and go the next level? Because here's all the benefits for you as an organization to do so. I like that point you just made. So mm. so it's actually the case where the, the flexibility stuff forced on us through COVID is well understood maybe we can just tack on the lessons we've learned through that and the path that's been cleared through that. We can add work part-time into the conversation. I like that a lot. Hey, mm. well, let's, let's get to that. We're going to get to your five levers soon, but the common experiences that people have when they work part-time, there's a list of them. I'll just mm. read them and you comment on them as we go at the end. Number one is my workload didn't change. So I, mm. I may have gone to three days a week or four days a week, but I'm still doing five or six or seven days a week worth of work. So great for the company because they pay me less and I just still need to do all the stuff. Mm. Number two is I'm always checking emails and taking phone calls on non-work days. It's difficult to switch off because the world keeps moving on on my Friday off or my Wednesday off. So people just expect me to be there and because I'm a good employee, I do it because it's there to be done. Number three is the company is supportive in principle, but no one actually knows how to make it work. And I'm the one who's supposed to come up with all the ideas to problem solve. So I've got to kind of be the policy maker and the behavior maker of the organization as I do this. The next one is being a part-timer, I can't see opportunities for progression. So I'm just going to be stuck at this level. The next is that the best, the most interesting, the biggest projects don't go to part-timers, they go to full-timers. And lastly is I'm working myself into the ground 
and I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job at work and I'm not doing a very good job at home. So they're the experiences that people are having with part-time and nothing on that list surprises me. It is so a sign of our times and part-time work, of course, would take on those characteristics because a lot of people are feeling those characteristics anyway. So if you step outside of the norm mm. and say you want to work part-time, then you're almost leaving yourself open to that, the way our organizations are currently structured. So we're going to address that in your five levers. But here are the myths, and I love these myths. The myths about part-time work are very similar to the myths about flexibility. Remember the old days when someone would say, oh, Pam's working from home today, and they'd raise the eyebrows <laughs> and you know give a little Inverted knowing commas. nod <laughs> as if to say, don't bother sending that email today because she's working from home. Maybe leave that till Monday. So the same kind of thing exists with part-time workers. Myth number one, part-time workers aren't serious about their careers. They want to go part-time because they're not really serious about being a great lawyer or a great engineer or a great whatever you might be. Number two, part-time work is a perk that should be earned, not something that should be offered to everyone. Number three, our customers require us to be available full-time. Number four, there's nowhere for the extra work to go. So if you go part-time, work going to go. We can't give it to anyone else. And having a team member work part-time, this is attached to that one, is not fair to the rest of the team because now they're just going to be lumped with that extra work. Number six, people leader roles cannot be done part-time. You've got to be around the office five days a week to be a good people leader. And number seven, even if middle management roles can be done part-time, executive and leader and senior leadership roles definitely can't. What do you say to all those myths, Belinda? <laughs> well, they're all exactly that myths. And in the book, I kind of spell out a nice little response to each of them. But yeah, there's just so many reasons that people think that it can't be done. And if we can just think a little bit creatively, there's a very simple answer to all of those. You know, for example, the one that comes up a lot when I work with client facing professionals is that one around, but my clients or my customers just aren't going to accept this. And you go and suggest to people, go have a chat with your customer about it. And 99% of the conversations that I've been involved in or heard about from other people, the customer says, fine, I don't care when you work, as long as you get the work done, as long as there's kind of a backup plan. If I've got an emergency on your non-work day, who do I call instead? Then get on with it. That's fine. Actually, someone in my team works part-time too. So you're kind of asking them, hey, client, would you like to work with someone who is well-rounded, happy at home, has a nice balanced life, doesn't feel torn between all the different parts of their life? Would you like to work with that sort of person or would you like to work with someone who's chained to their desk for 10 hours a day? Exactly. And you know, a lot of the senior leaders who I interviewed for my book talked about that and I can remember one in particular saying that his clients actually really enjoyed knowing that he worked part-time and hearing about what he did on his day off and why he worked part-time. And it built trust and relationship a bit because they just knew a little bit more about his life and what he did. And actually, it was a positive for them. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. Hey, and you really deliberately pitch this in your book to senior leaders because mm. it would have been very easy to say, oh, yeah, all this is true, but just for the kind of doer class, this is not going to work at senior leadership level. You've taken it head on and said, actually, it's really important that we do pitch this at senior leaders because they have needs as well. They're human beings as well with a life and a family and other stuff going on, but also it's the example thing within an organization. Absolutely. The role model, you know, 
like any change, not only just getting part-time work right, but if it's not role modelled from the top, people don't feel like they have permission. They don't feel like they can progress their careers to that level because they can't see anyone doing it. So that's absolutely a big part of it. And the other part is this gender equity in the workplace piece that I mentioned around you know, whether we like it or not, women currently shoulder the lion's share of household and caring responsibilities at the moment in our society. So they need flexible work at higher rates than men. So instead of, you know, keeping on sending women on mentoring programs and training programs and trying to change the way women approach work, why don't we think about how do we change the structures in which we work so that we can create roles that work for everyone at senior levels? Hey, you know what we should do, Belinda? We should just make it if we're in charge of the world, that everyone is working part-time from now on. And then you've <laughs> got to make the argument to me why you should be allowed to work full-time. Imagine trying to make that argument. <laughs> I'd like to work more. No, I, I think having two days of my seven-day week to myself as a human being is too many, you know, and, or is the right number, and I, I want to work the other five. Wouldn't it be difficult to make the case to work more? Whereas we're, we're kind of making the opposite, which seems ridiculous. All right. Absolutely. Because that's the way we're headed. And, and I know this is not a futurist podcast and, and we're not really going to go there, but the future of work suggests that there's going to be a point in time. And my podcast listeners will know that one of my favorite authors is Yuval Noah Harari, who mm -hmm. talks about a brief history of the future and the, the useless class and the idea that there will be human beings that have no skills or knowledge that isn't done better by AI. And we've just got to be okay with that. Mm. We've got to find other stuff to fulfill us. And of course, more importantly, or just as importantly, we have to put social and political and financial structures around us so that those people aren't living in abject poverty just because they've kind of been outdone by AI, but they're still living a, the comfortable life that we all deserve because we live in the 21st century. So we need to think differently about this. And this part-time kind of revolution is a really important first step towards that. Because if we can't accept that people want more than two out of seven of their days back as human beings, if we can't accept that, imagine us trying to accept in the near future, in our career, or at the very least in the career of our children, that there are going to be people who have no skills to offer the workplace at all. And should we just let them sort of wither and die on the street? Yeah, it's so interesting. And I think, you know, in the more imminent future to what than what you're talking about, the idea of the four-day work week, as I'm sure you've heard about, is really starting to take hold across the globe, which is this idea that everybody works four days, they still get paid their full-time salary on the provision that they deliver the same outputs as they were when they were working five days. And that's kind of a very small step between where we are now and what you're describing, I think. So, we're going to get into your five levers next, but let, let's mm. just dwell on this little point for a moment. You, you mentioned mm. in your book you worked for one of the big four accounting firms early in your career, and because it was such a cultural norm to work really late, it was kind of just expected optically that you would be at your desk until 10 p.m. So people, of course, just fluffed about during the day. They Googled mm. staff and did personal admin because they had to be at their desk to be seen at their desk. So they just filled their day with other stuff. What a ridiculous corner we've painted ourselves in mm. as humans. Isn't this ridiculous that we kind of slave away at our job for five-sevenths of our life? Yeah, it's insane. And, you know, it was very obvious to me from the get-go that that's not the way I wanted my work life to progress. And it was really interesting too, because you're not paid much or you weren't back in the day when I was there a little while ago now <laughs> as a graduate in those firms. 
And then you're expected to work these insane hours. And then the carrot that's kind of dangled is, but one day you can become partner and make lots of money. Then you look at the partners around you and they're, you know, aging well before their time and stressed out and overwhelmed. And yeah, it's just such an interesting, as you say, corner we've painted ourselves into. So yeah. It's weird. So, you know, I, I, I have that view sometimes and I just look at it and think, what have we done? And, and most importantly, what's going to get us out of this as humanity? Mm. The, the idea that so much of our personal worth, our value is on the labor that we do mm. and how much time we spend doing that labor. But anyway, I digress. Let's get to these five fabulous levers that you call them, Belinda. You talk us through it and I'll ask ridiculously naive questions along the way. How's that sound? Sounds great. So these are the five levers if we're thinking about this from an individual level of a senior person in a part-time role. What are the things that you need to think about and work on to be successful? And so the entry point is around building your conviction. And so that is really all about how do you get confident and clear on why part-time work is important to you firstly? What are all the things that it can bring to you and those who you care about and to your life? And then also this element of getting clear on why it's important for organizations and society. And we've touched on that last piece quite a lot in this podcast. So it touches on that. But the idea being that it's not easy to implement. Yes, I'm giving you a framework, but it's, you know, any change and something that's not commonly seen around you, there's going to be challenges along the way. So step one, build your conviction and get really confident about why you're doing this. Be really clear. Hey, you know, I just thought then that part of someone thinking this through and and being really clear, building their conviction and the crossover between part-time and flexible they might, mm. We might just be talking about, you know, someone who's feeling out of balance, they're not giving their family what they need, that they know something's got to change and it's largely around how much time and energy they spend at work. The answer might be working flexibly, but it might be part-time. And I guess that's what I was getting at before when I talked about COVID may have shoved flexibility where working mm. part-time might otherwise have been. Because the person or the family or the partnership that is thinking this through is thinking, we just need something to change. Mm. And whether it's flexibility or whether it's part-time, we don't know what it is, but we'll try either. So there could be an overlap there. And I guess at that point of building conviction, is it really important that I, I have it clear in my head when I go and start talking to my manager about this or start planning it in my role? that I know what it is is going to really fix the problem in my life right now? Is it flexibility or is it part-time? And do I need to be certain of that? I think it helps to have a clear proposal on what you want to do. I think with anything around flexible work or change broadly, you could extrapolate it out to it. It's also good to approach it with an experimental mindset. So here's what I think I need to do. Can we trial it for six months and see how it goes? And that's what I also encourage managers to do when they're trying to implement this with people in their team. So Mm. yes, here's what we want to do, but let's be open to the fact that we might learn things along the way and change our mind or adapt. So yeah, I think that is really helpful to be clear on what you want to do. If you're really unclear and your manager is someone who you can talk to and often has good perspectives, then of course you could go to them and um, you know, suggest that they help you work through it. But yeah, my default would be go with some clarity and also with a case. So back to this idea of why it's useful for organizations in particular, go to your manager with some points that are clear in your mind on why this is not only good for you, but how it can be beneficial for the organization too. I'm enjoying watching you continue to bang your microphone over there, Belinda. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> Talking with your hands. No, it's all good. Just listeners will be wondering, what is that banging going on? Is David falling off his chair or something? No, that's Belinda banging. She's speaking with her hands. I'll so try number and one, speak with them in different directions <laughs> from now on. Speak out. Number one is build your conviction, get crystal clear, because you're going to have these conversations. You've got to know what you want. It's like any good any negotiation you go into, you've got to know what it is that you want out of the negotiation and what you're not going to say yes to. Great. What's number Absolutely. two? Number two is scope your role. So back when we were talking about the experience of part-timers. I still do five or six days work. Yeah, exactly. It's this whole idea of continuing to deliver and do a full-time role, but now on part-time pay, which is, of course, the worst possible scenario that you can be in when you're thinking about um, part-time work. So scoping your role is about thinking, okay, if I was working five, now I'm working three days a week in the same role. I'm being paid 60% of what I was being paid before and theoretically I'm working 60% of the hours that I was before. So how do we remove 40% from the role? And that sounds scary when you think of it. You know, what do we do with that work? It's all important. Where can it go? But in the book, I walk through a process and there's lots and lots of things we can do with that 40%, starting with looking at it and thinking, is everything I do in my role critical? Is it adding value to the organization? And are there some things that just don't need to be done? down to who in my team or the organization more broadly could benefit from taking on some of the work I do? How could it help them in their career? And how could we then help them shave off a little bit of the less necessary parts of their role? So that's just a couple of couple of the practical ways that we can do that. And this lever, number two, is super important because if you don't get this right, if you don't scope your role correctly, then you are just going to end up like these common experiences that we listed before. My workload hasn't changed. I'm just getting paid mm. less. Win for the organization because I'm still a committed professional. I'm going to not let things go undone. So I'm just going to get them done. And now I'm working six days, getting paid for three. So mm. that's a massive loss. Scoping your work is really important. You made that really that point very clear and very well in your book. And you went through a process for doing that, starting by keeping a work diary. And, and if your job's pretty routine, then you might just keep a work diary for a week. If it changes a lot, then maybe you need to keep a work diary for three weeks or four or five, just to capture those different things that will happen through your month. And then you talked about this fabulous quadrant and quadrant models are always fabulous because they're so simple and so effective. The up and down axis is impact and the left to right axis is effort. So, of course, if something is low effort and high impact, that's in your yes area. Something is high impact and high effort, it's in the maybe area. Low effort, low impact, preferably not. And high effort, low impact, no. So once you've kept a diary of all the things that you do through your week or through your month, then in terms of scoping your role, it's about placing all of the different bits that you do, all the different tasks and work and projects that you contribute to in those quadrants and then having a look at it and saying, all right, well, if I'm going to reduce 40% of what I spend my time doing so I can get down to three days a week, then I need to look at this top left quadrant and really focus on this work. And this stuff on the bottom right, it's got to go and we can get someone else to do that. Absolutely. And then the next step is overlaying what are your unique skills and talents and the things that you really love doing on top of that whole model? And, you know, where do I really add unique value to the organization and grow my career? And how do we bring all that together to scope a role that works for you, works for the organization and delivers that high impact, which is what it's all about? All right. So number one was build your conviction, get clear on why. Number two is scope your role. We just talked about that. What's number three, Belinda? So number three is around optimizing your time. So thinking about how can you optimize your work time and protect 
your non-work time. So that optimizing your work time is how can I make the most of the hours that I am working, deliver that high impact work, and then protecting your downtime is, you know, we talk about boundaries a lot and that's where this comes in. How do I make sure that I'm not on my Thursdays and Fridays if they're my non-work days doing emails, joining meetings, all the things that I shouldn't be doing because I've got better things to do and I'm also not being paid to be working. All right. What are the biggest causes of inefficiency that when we're talking about optimizing our time, what are the things Mm. that we have to look out for most? What's the top three or top five in the the general professional setting? So this is not unique to working part-time now. This is just relevant to anyone, but meetings is probably the biggest one. And I'm sure you're the same, David. Almost any professional I talk to talks about how much time they waste in meetings. And when you're working part-time, that's typically amplified because you're often expected to attend the same internal meetings as you were when you were full-time, but that now takes up a much bigger proportion of your Mm. work week. Mm -hmm. So thinking about how can you reduce, get rid of, delegate meetings, all the different ways in which you can spend less time in meetings, particularly ones where you're not adding a whole lot of value, as many of us sit in a lot of, is a really big one. So meetings is number one. And the other thing that I've found personally really helpful and won't be a new piece of advice to listeners, but I think is really important is just thinking about distractions. How do I get rid of distractions? So how do I, you know, this idea of not being in your emails for the whole workday, how do you you know, check them three times a day perhaps and schedule that in? Or how do you not get distracted by your phone? Do you, you know, stick it away in another room for a couple of hours when you're working on that important report? So I would say they're actually the biggest two and I don't need to go into, you know, a list of five or seven even. If you can reduce the amount of time you spend in meetings and reduce distractions so that you're focused when you're working on important work, then that's it's really going to make a huge difference. And not just for people who are working part-time either. That's something that we can all think about. All right. Fantastic. That was number three, optimize your time. Number four. Number four is around leading with leverage, I call this lever. And this is really thinking about the idea of senior leaders working part-time. And rather than thinking, oh gosh, senior leaders are the hardest roles to do part-time, it's impossible. It's really flipping that mindset and thinking, how do I actually take advantage of the fact that I'm a leader? And that my role is actually to empower other people and to deliver work through them and that I have the opportunity to build a team around me and leverage all that to make your part-time role easier to implement. So it's really just this idea that of anyone actually, senior leaders should be in the best position to work part-time because of all those things I mentioned. And if you think about it, you know, if anyone listening thinks about the best leaders that they've ever worked with, they're typically not the ones down in the weeds, doing Doing all the doing every day. They're the ones who help set the vision, get people engaged, remove roadblocks so that you can get your work done, and then they leave you to do it. So You're absolutely right. And that's a great argument to make. Rather than senior leaders being the last people you would think can go part-time in an organization, actually, they're probably the first because you don't want them micromanaging issues day-to-day anyway. And the stuff that you talked about, the stuff of great leaders, setting a vision, motivating people along the path to that vision, developing their people along the way, removing roadblocks, as you say, all of those are great leadership behaviors. And that doesn't need to be an everyday thing. And in fact, it's often better when it's not because you're trusting the people that you have working with you to get on with the job. You've set the vision really clearly. They've got the skills and experience to execute on that vision. So really, it's actually a good argument for being part-time. And I love that because that addresses 
a number of the myths. But most importantly, even if middle managers can go part-time, execs and senior leaders certainly can't. But mm. that's clearly just a myth and it's it's part of what makes us feel comfortable about the way things always have been. But really, you know, any kind of examination, it, it just doesn't stack up. Mm. You know, one of the things I read in your book was, well, actually, as I was reading your book, it got me thinking that a lot of people would look at this, all of this advice and say, well, that's great. Even if, if I'm currently in a senior role, I could probably take your advice. I could go through these levers, especially around the scoping of the role and make it really clear. And it probably could be successful. But you know what, Belinda? I won't get to that senior leadership role if I've already gone part-time. It might mm-hmm. work if I'm already there, but they're not going to promote me to that role. What do you say to that? This is the bit where we need to start thinking about how do we help organizations change? So how do we So my book is really primarily focused on this idea of what's within your control as a senior leader who is working or wants to work part-time given the system we have. And if you're managing the system that you have and it is one where you feel like you're not going to get promoted, it's really all about, you know, how do you get the right relationships at the right levels, get sponsors, people who are in that promotion conversation who are going to speak up and say, hey, yes, David worked part-time, but he's amazing. We've got to promote him to this, this next role. So working within the system, it's often about sponsors and about making known that you want to actually be promoted and progress your career because often there's this assumption that people who are working part-time prefer to take a back seat. Yep. Part-timers aren't serious about their careers. Exactly. So it's being clear on your intentions and what you want to do with your career, getting sponsors. But outside that and something that I do a lot of is helping organizations change the system. So making sure that your policies and your processes that's around performance review, promotion, are all set up to support part-time work and people having part-time careers over the long term and successful ones rather than getting in the way. And we started talking about that because number four of your five levers was lead with leverage, but number mm. five might actually contribute to what we're talking about anyway. What is number five? So number five is be an advocate. And that's based on the idea, and this came once again from the leaders that I interviewed for the book around, once I get all this stuff up and humming and get it right for myself, what I want to do next is advocate for this and you know, start small by making sure I help people in my team work part-time if they want to, or even go beyond that. Advertise roles as part-time possible. So thinking about that micro level, what's in your control, right up to how do I go out and speak about this at big conferences and, you know, make it known that it's something that's possible and important. And be that person who speaks up in a meeting when some senior Mm. leaders are talking about the next manager of a certain team and we're, we're talking about whether person X could be that manager and most are dismissing person X because they're part time. You say, actually, no, person X is awesome at what they do and they've done a great job in that role. The fact that they work part time is just about their life, not about their commitment to this organization. So being an advocate in those moments as well, I guess, would help. Absolutely. And then go beyond that and, you know, start sharing information around if we want to attract and retain the best talent in the future. We need to start getting this right. Here's a great opportunity to think about how can we apply it with this person who wants to get promoted in the role and you know, really help those around you understand that once again, it's more than about just helping that person manage their own work and personal life. It's about where's the future of work heading? What's in it for us as organizations? And you know, particularly in a very tight talent market at the moment, why is this important? 
All right, those five levers there, excellent, Belinda. Number one is build your conviction. Number two is scope your role. Number three is optimize your time. Number four is lead with leverage. And finally, be an advocate. Now, Belinda, if there are people listening to this and they love your message, and I, I know that's the case, people are listening to this, they're loving the message, they love the clarity and the argument that you make about working from home. What are three nuggets of wisdom you can leave us with so we, re- we remember this conversation tomorrow and next week and next year? So my first one is don't be grateful for your part-time role. And that sounds a little counterintuitive, but it comes back to everything we've talked about, that it's not just about the organization doing you a favor. It's important for all sorts of reasons for organizations and society too. So that's my first one. Don't be grateful for your part-time role. Be confident and have that conviction. My second one is around it is possible. So as we've also talked about, there's this mindset and these assumptions that it's just not possible to have a career-worthy part-time role of any type, let alone a senior-level part-time role. So believe that it's possible. And if you're still not convinced, have a look at the case studies in my book if you're interested, or just look around you and do a bit of research. Who do you know or who do your friends know who are working part-time in a senior-level role? So that's a couple. And then the last one that I'd like to mention is around, we've talked a lot about families and you know fathers versus mothers, but this is an issue that's for everyone. There's so many other important reasons why people might want or need to work part-time. So don't feel like just because you're not a mother with young children, you shouldn't go ahead and ask for it if it's something that you want or indeed need to be able to manage your life better. Linda Morgan, that is a fabulous place to leave it. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much, David. I've enjoyed it too. And that was Belinda Morgan. I think that discussion reimagining part-time work and how it can be successful for individuals, teams and organisations is crucial in the ongoing evolution to our attitudes towards work. An evolution that is moving us away from the experience of modern day slaves towards a more cohesive, rounded and fulfilling life. I love Belinda's three nuggets of gold. Number one, don't be grateful for your part-time role. It's not a favor, be confident. Number two, take the mindset that it's possible for senior people leaders, for executives too. In some ways, it's even more important that we think of those roles as being perfect for part-time design. And number three, this is an issue for everyone, not just mums and dads. We're all searching for a more balanced and fulfilling life. And maybe a part-time role is an important part of the mix for you. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Belinda on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. And don't forget to check out my new project, yourstorypod.com.au and get in touch if there's someone you care about who should tell their life story. I hope you and the people you care about have a wonderful Christmas and New Year and I'll see you back right here in January 2023. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.